Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyan. And on this episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, we're going to be talking about inner work and reparenting as a part of our broader inner work series. And today I have a guest with you that I'm so excited to share with you, one of my favorite Instagram accounts and a true expert on doing the inner child work and the shadow work that it takes to help people live lives that are more authentic, more open-hearted and not from a place of wounding. So let me introduce you to my very special guest, Xavier Dagba. And I'm so happy to have you here. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. I just want to first thank you for the lovely introduction and for initiating this conversation, because I know right now, especially parents need help, you know, with everything that's going on in the world at the moment. So I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to share with you the little that I know about inner work and what can I say about myself? I'm a transformational life coach. I'm a shadow work practitioner, inner child work practitioner, and trauma-informed transformational life coach. And, you know, what really turns my light on is to help people overcome the wounding that they sometimes didn't even know they had in order to live more purposeful lives. So um, that's what I can say about myself. But if you would like to know more, of course, I am willing to share. I'm very open to every question that you might have. Well, I'm so excited to learn a little bit more about your approach to the inner work that oftentimes parenting really calls us to. I know that you focus on a broad community and in this podcast, we focus mostly on parents, but I think that most people I've worked with and talked to found out that they had a lot of inner work to do as they became parents, as their kids woke them up and highlighted the wounds that they were healing. Do you agree? Absolutely. I want to say first a little death to the non-parent that I used to be if I'm going to put it that way to the man that I used to be that didn't have that responsibility to take care of now two children so just becoming a parent that simple fact of becoming a parent that simple fact of being handed a new life in your hands it usually brings that's the first step where inner work is needed because there is a lot of grief that happens there Hmm. There's a lot of grief because we are shedding the personality of who we used to be. We didn't have to take care of this child just, you know, a few months ago. And now 
we have a child that we need to take care of. And it takes to embrace responsibility at a powerful level. So there is a huge stretch that happens within the few weeks, even when you know you are expecting There is a huge stretch that is happening. It's as if a new personality is being molded. And very often, you know, that deep grief, in my experience, that deep responsibility that comes with holding that life and having to take care of these children, I think it's very underrated the amount of Mm. work it takes to go through all of that. And in my experience, it is also one of the reasons why we have so many women, when they are not supported enough, they go through postpartum depression, which is just like, in my experience, a manifestation of going through that grief and going through the integration of the mother. So that's just what I wanted to say first, because very often we dismiss that part, that awakening of the parent shifting from somebody that didn't have the responsibility of another life to embracing because somebody that has full responsibility for another human life and this is huge in my experience I just wanted to start with that yeah wow thinking about that from a grief perspective that makes so much sense and so what you're saying is from the moment we become parents or even when we find out we're going to become parents that there's this little death and this big identity shift that needs to happen and if we don't navigate that shift well with conscious attention it can be really hard absolutely it can be extremely hard and i've worked with some parents that deep down they had a huge degree of resentment for their own children when they didn't do that work of grieving Mm -hmm. like they had a certain degree of regret for the life they lost for the kind of freedom they lost for you know that ability to do whatever you wanted in the past or to go wherever you wanted not needing to take care of a child so it's a really really tricky part and a really delicate part of the journey where a deep integration is needed and i have yet to see people who properly grieve Mm. you know the year of not being a parent that transition in my opinion is very very crucial because it sets the new foundation for the journey ahead oh my gosh Yes. And like the idea that resentment is there. I mean, it is very difficult as a parent, particularly a mother who, you know, society tells us, culture tells us is supposed to be completely sacrificing, completely, you know, non-self-serving to lay ourselves on the altar of motherhood as a sacrifice, you know, and to give voice to that. I can imagine it would be very hard for people to admit It's very, very hard for a mother especially to admit. It's very hard for a loving parent to admit because who would like to be seen as a parent that has a certain degree of resentment for their own child? I assume no one. As a loving parent, you wouldn't want to do that. But there's something that's really powerful that happens when you allow yourself to meet that part of you that is actually dying and to fully integrate it. Things that you refuse to see They pull the strings in the shadow. And this is usually what I tell people. You might happen to raise your voice on your child, not knowing what, why you are doing something. But somewhere there might be a deep-seated resentment that is there that you didn't come to terms with. So that transition is very crucial in my opinion. And then there is a bigger journey that's opening up. There is that beautiful and, you know, transformational journey of parenting itself. But that initial transition is huge in my opinion. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Okay. So there's something that you said there that I wanted to pull out. So I so agree with you that there's this initial transition and then we grow up alongside our kids, right? Our kids are growing up and we're growing up too. We have to reparent ourselves. And I want to get to reparenting. I think that this duality that you're talking about is the concept of both and for me has been really helpful that I can have grief for the person I was before and love being a mom. That those two dualities, those two kind of ends of the spectrum can exist within me all at the same time. This is so crucial because very often when people awaken to the possibility that, oh, I was potentially holding grief inside, why should I be grieving at all? Mm-hmm. And now we try to paste on ourselves a meaning, which is, I am a bad parent, I'm a bad mom, I'm a bad dad, and we anchor shame. Mm-hmm. And we are talking about transitions that are absolutely normal. All of what people happen to experience when they become parents, they are absolutely normal. So the same way you're saying, holding space for the part of you that is grieving or being grieved, holding space for the non-parent that is dying within you and having compassion for yourself through that process. At the same time, it doesn't negate the love that you have for your child. It doesn't negate how loving of a mom or a dad you can be. So I just want to invite people to really hold that duality all at the same time. It is appropriate. There is nothing wrong with feeling grief when you become a parent. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with having multiple parts of you within yourself that feel different ways, all different ways about different situations. We have these parts within us that have their own stories, their own histories, their own way of viewing what happens to us. And they're all within us. And the thing I wanted to pull out before you said we have these things in the background that whether we recognize them or not are pulling the strings. And I think that that's so important for us. Many of us are not even aware of who's pulling the strings of where our immune immediate reactions, you know, the reactivity piece of it, where our, you know, just the words are falling out of our mouths. And we're like, we don't even know where they came from. So can we talk about who's pulling the strings and what that means and how to start working and finding out who is pulling the strings, what their stories are? Absolutely. The thing is, the way I like to present it to people, is like there is a conscious part of our conditioning, which is what we identify with. And, you know, where our ego identification is usually contained. And we have a more unconscious part of our conditioning, which is what we call the shadow. And these are the things that we observed and absorbed and disowned. Like we get thought, anger is bad. So I'm going to disown anger. I don't ever want to be seen as an angry person. Society tells us this thing is bad. Or our initial family tells us you should never be sad for becoming a mom. You should always be loving of your kids. You should always put the needs of your kids first. Meaning when your own needs are competing with your child's needs, you disown them. Mm -hmm. So very often we disown these things in the shadow. So let's say you have a part of you as a mom today that is craving self-care. A part of you when you were younger, you just saw your mom constantly sacrifice her own needs in order to take care of you. And then you assumed this is what being a mom looks like, meaning the part of you that usually craves self-care when your children need support as well is totally disowned. 
And now you happen to show, you know, let's say your children, they need help with something. They need you to take care of yet another thing, but you are extremely exhausted, extremely tired. And that part of you that you had this own that is craving more self-care just starts lashing out. It gets activated. You start raising your voice. You're not even aware of what is actually happening in this moment. You're like, what is getting into me? And this is usually the response of people, of even some parents, like, I don't understand what happened. I just started yelling. Yeah. And what is actually happening, there is a part of you that feels unseen here, and that is looking for your attention in that specific moment. So navigating these aspects and turning inwards and starting to question what really happened here? What was I feeling in that moment? You know, what was happening within me? And eventually, where did I happen to feel that way before? You know, and just like questioning, starting that self-inquiry is really, really important to begin to uncover oh, there is something here that I've been disowning, that I've been denying, and now these children are powerfully reflecting that to me. So just like starting to observe our reactivity, starting to ask, absolutely, that first step of awareness, wow, I'm getting reactive. Oh, I was so reactive. I don't even understand. Yeah. And most of the time, it's after the fact, when you're first starting to do this work, you just notice it you know, even just reflecting back on your day, like, oh, yeah, I was really reactive then. Like, you know, and eventually get closer and closer. But go ahead. Absolutely. Oh, no, no, this is absolutely perfect. Because very often, you know, parents would start noticing after the fact, just like you said, and just and after reflecting, like, oh, I was yelling, I was just like, so triggered by my own child or by my partner, I don't even know what was happening there. And for some parents, it often happens when you feel like you're already doing quite a lot and the other partner doesn't acknowledge it properly, Mm -hmm. then it triggers that part of you that is like feeling already stretched thin. Yeah. So much. And then the reactivity shows up. Mm -hmm. So usually observing after the fact and questioning what was going on here. What can I see? What was active here? It's really important in my opinion. It's so important. But I think it's what we've been conditioned to do when we notice that reactivity, when we notice we've deviated from what we consciously want to do with our kids, how we consciously want to parent. We've been conditioned to cut off, to banish that part of ourselves, to shame that part of ourselves that was reactive and keep that cut off, close that door even more firmly. Say that was bad. That was wrong. We're a bad mom. We, you know, like whatever the story is that we tell ourselves, we've been trained through our upbringing, most of us, that that's what you do when something's absolutely. not right. Absolutely. The voice that you just shared here, the voice of, you know, what we usually call in the field, the inner critic. Mm. And I usually invite people to picture the inner critic as the police of your mm-hmm. conditioning, the police of your, I want to say consciousness, maybe use that word here, because very often that inner critic is just reflecting to us the way we were disciplined And the ruthless ways, the shameful ways we were disciplined, you know, the ways we were bullied, the way, the severe ways we were really asked to stay, you know, to behave. So the inner critic does that, you know, and at some point in time, we shift to doing that to ourselves. The inner critic does it beautifully. (laughs) Oh my goodness. They're so so... skillful. Yeah. And there are so many people who believe that their voice is the voice of the critic. 
meaning they are constantly shaming themselves constantly emotionally and i'm sorry this is going to be a harsh word we are constantly emotionally abusing ourselves and it takes to practice to begin to defend ourselves against the inner critic and when i'm saying it doesn't mean suppressing the inner critic it means withdrawing the power that we put in that voice in that shameful voice Mm-hmm. And re- beginning to understand that inner critic was a safety mechanism that the child within you needed to have. If growing up, you would have parents being so severe with you, they would be criticizing you when you didn't do something right. It only makes sense for a child that wants to survive and that doesn't want to have mom or dad yell at them. Wants to, to be loved to cre- and accepted. To begin to create that voice in their own head. And to begin to talk to themselves that way so that mom or dad doesn't have to do it. Mm -hmm. Because when mom or dad, when they do it, it's more painful. It's more painful when they do it because we crave love and acceptance for them. So we start actually doing that to ourselves. We start doing that to ourselves all the time. And usually it's heartbreaking to see how it's so present in mothers. And my heart goes I have a specific attachment to mothers because, you know, I was raised by strong women and seeing mothers just constantly shaming themselves is something that is heartbreaking to observe. Just like practicing, withdrawing all the power within the inner critic and meeting our humanness, what I call our humanness with more compassion. It is so crucial in this process. I love what you're saying here. And, you know, so often I feel like in the popular, you know, voice around inner critics, the way people talk about it is that it's something to be shut off and quieted. There's so many like Instagram reels on, you know, tell your inner critic to shut up. And I just don't agree that that's the way because the inner critic's voice comes from a wounded place. It's a hurting little part of ourselves, often a very young hurting child. You have a quote that I love. Can I read it? Is that okay? Of course, yes. Okay. You do not change a pattern within yourself that is not needed anymore by disowning it. You do it by accepting that it is here. Accepting that it is here does not mean being complacent with it, does not mean enabling it. It means meeting with compassion the wounded part of you that needed the pattern to begin with. And from there, change is possible. And it's so true. It's so true that we needed these patterns. These patterns helped us and our inner critic has served us well. I think it is so important to meet it with love and acceptance and gratitude. Thank you so much for keeping me safe for so long. And there's the both and. And now we don't need shame to keep us in line anymore. Now we have compassion to help us grow and learn. Based on what you just said, well, I want to share a picture. Yeah. I want to share a picture of a little child. Let's call her a little girl that is here. And she had a puppy. And the puppy was there to be her friend and also to kind of protect her. And she would have once in a while, she would try to explore a little bit to, you know, go out a little bit too much. And the fences would hurt her. Let's say there were electric fences out there. And the electric fences, it is the way she would be shamed, the way she would be disciplined by her parents or caregivers or bullies or teachers, whoever that was. But she couldn't sometimes see the fences. But the puppy could. The dog could. And then she told the dog, every single time I come close to the fences, bark 
at me as if my life was depending on it. So that's what she's telling the, the little puppy. So the puppy turns into the most challenging picture ever. The puppy turns into the most angry Fierce. dog ever. Yes. Fierce dog ever. So that she may be afraid of the puppy, but the puppy does that because the puppy loves her. The dog does that because the dog loves her. And every time she comes close to the fence, the dog is just barking as if her life was depending on it because he wants to protect her or the puppy wants to protect her. So there is that transition that happens when the little girl grows and she becomes more mature and the puppy is trained to just bark every time she comes close. But she's stronger now. She can take the hits of the electric fence, but the dog doesn't know it. And it is her responsibility to approach the dog with compassion and now to just put her hand on the puppy. Thank you so much. I didn't know how to protect myself against these fences, but you don't need to bark at me anymore. That time is over and it takes a new training of coming to the dog over and over until the dog settles down and understands, okay, our master is safe now. So this is usually the analogy that I give to people when it comes to working with the inner critic. And it comes from a place of compassion, not from a place of like battling the critic and trying to wrestle the inner critic down to the ground. So yeah, that's just what I wanted to share here. I hope it helps people. Oh my gosh, you all can't see me, but I started crying listening to this explanation. I love that analogy is beautiful. And I mean, and that's what reparenting ourselves is. That's what this inner work really is, is retraining our beautiful protective parts, you know, to understand that we're not in danger anymore, but we're safe, that there is a new leader and even dismantling the fences, right? So part of it is dismantling those electric fences. We don't need those to keep us safe anymore. There's this broad world out there where we can be kind of anything we want to be. We don't have to be fenced in. Okay, oh, that was beautiful. Then tell me, like, is there a difference between inner child work and reparenting? And I feel like that was such a beautiful analogy. I think we all get that, but then there's this piece of, okay, so then how in the moment with my kids, you know? Yeah, I want to start with something that a beautiful interaction that happens between parents and children. Usually, as our children grow, and this is something that I'm observing in my own journey right now, my oldest son, my son is two, and he is growing, and he has that sensitivity that I used to have that was shut down by my parents. So every time I see in him the boy that I used to be, and he is embodying powerfully the parts of me that were suppressed. And, you know, what is the reckoning? What is the call of the parts of you that were suppressed? Triggers. Mm -hmm. So he has that ability to sometimes trigger me. And in this moment, I know enough to understand that, oh, okay, there is inner reconciliation that is needed when he is like crying forever. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, what is going on with you? I've done everything I thought you needed. What else do you need? And when I get triggered in that moment, I understand, okay, there is a part of me that I need to reconcile with. So I just want to put in perspective, as your child grows, your child is going to reflect to you the parts of you that you didn't fully reconcile with yet. And it's absolutely normal. Please don't shame yourself for it. Please don't lash out at your child necessarily for it. It is absolutely normal. So inner child work, in my opinion, is reconciling with the child within. And reparenting is actually meeting the needs of the child within that your parents or caregivers didn't know how to meet. 
So they are completing each other in my experience. And that the first step of that inner child healing work, it, it usually takes a lot of like discharging the pain, discharging everything that was stored in the body, meeting the child within with compassion, you know, starting that reconciliation process. And then reparenting builds on that new foundation of reconciliation that was existing or that you just set with the child. They are working together beautifully because reparenting is about taking full responsibility for the core needs that your parents couldn't. Taking full responsibility for meeting the needs of the child within you. Taking full responsibility for equipping yourself with the distinctions that your parents didn't necessarily know how to transmit to you. Like emotionally regulate yourself. Yeah. Like, you know, so many beautiful things that sometimes parents were just not equipped to help their children navigate. So in my experience, they just complete each other beautifully. And some people might say that reparenting is just an extension of inner child healing. Or some people might say it's all the same. I just want to say here, you know, sometimes going, trying to put everything in the perfect box is just a process that creates confusion, but embracing that these two aspects of work that are needed and extremely valuable, engaging in these aspects of the work with openness, with compassion, a huge deal of compassion with yourself is very necessary in this moment. So that's the, the explanation I can provide. And if you would need to have some more clarity, I can, can do my best to offer it. Oh, no, that was so helpful. I just wanted to give a couple examples, like what reparenting and inner child work looks like in the moment with my kids. So sometimes I have my child who is very much like me and awakens all of my fears and worries about whether she'll be loved and accepted just because I wasn't fully loved and accepted for those same traits that she has, you know, just like your son. She awakens within me a lot of fears, a lot of worries about those things. So part of being her mom is recognizing within myself my sensitivity, my um, broad range and emotional capacity. And in the moment when she's having a big feeling that I would have been shamed, dismissed, or punished for in the moment when she's having that experience, like turning inward and allowing my emotional experience, meeting my own emotional needs as I'm meeting hers, reassuring all feelings are welcome here to her and to me. Kind of this almost like echoing that happens. So as I say the words to her, like I'm also at the same moment saying them to myself and then recognizing that I can meet my needs. So just as an example that came up from what we were talking about before. So one story that on the weekends, sometimes the girls like me to read to them while we are having breakfast. And we were in the middle of a very exciting part of a book and they're very invested in getting this book series finished because the next book in the series is coming in the mail today. So they're very excited, very anxious to keep going with the reading that we've been doing. But I was hungry and I wanted to get something to eat. And this is something that my mom would never have done. She would never have put her physical needs ahead of a child's creative needs. And in that moment, I was starting to feel it bubbling up. You know, the they're so needy. Why can't they be patient? You know, all of the thoughts that my parents would have mumbled under their breath, you know, as they 
suppressed their needs. And so in that moment with my girls, I said, honey, I understand. You really want me to read this to you right now. I hear you. And I'm also hungry and I have to have some food before I can read to you. So I understand it's hard to wait and it can be hard, but I'm also going to finish making my eggs. And once I'm sitting down with my eggs, then I will read. And I mean, and that's just holding that boundary, the recognizing their needs, recognizing my needs, both are valid, both are necessary and letting it be hard for them, honoring my needs, honoring our feelings about it. And I feel like that was a reparenting moment for me in the moment, you know? I think it was both. Yeah. It's just like meeting that feeling and honoring that. Mm -hmm. It is a huge part of inner child healing. What you felt, meaning I am pretty sure even when you were a child, you had an awareness of the process that was happening internally for your parents, that they wanted to do something else, but they were sacrificing and showing up for you and not fully showing up because they were holding on to this kind of resentment inside. And you stepping out of that is just huge. So it's just like that first acknowledgement Like, okay, I'm doing something here, meaning I'm holding the hand of the child within me and I'm taking responsibility for this need here. It's like a beautiful, powerful moment. And very often some parents would say, no, you could have just spent another 30 minutes and you could have just read the book and done something like this. But very often we give an experience to a child. We're giving them a message. It is okay to put your needs last. Mm-hmm. We anchor codependency. We give them the message, it is okay to put your needs last. In fact, and it's good. That message yeah, gets we, given to girls all the time. All the time. We tell them that. We tell them it's good to do that because mm-hmm. they observe you do that all the time. But when you actually take responsibility for telling them, okay, in this moment, mommy needs to eat. And sometimes you know, and I know, I'm a hangry person. <laughs> yeah. If I don't eat, I am going to show up and, you know, I'm going to be edgy and my son doesn't deserve that. So usually I'll be, okay, we're going to play a little later. Give me 10 minutes. And he says immediately, daddy hungry? (laughs) He knows now. We are teaching them. They are observing for the most part. Mm -hmm. They are observing. And I just want to say the bravery to choose, okay, in this moment, I see what you need and I'm scheduling it. And the child knows, okay, she sees me. And that's what the child needs to know. She sees me. She sees my need. Okay, it's not happening now. Mm -hmm. And it's going to happen an hour later. You are also teaching them patience, working with other people. You are teaching them that they are not always going to have what they need in an instant. And this is also crucial in the world that we are navigating, being able to build that resilience like, okay, not right now. Mommy is not available right now, but in an hour or in two hours or maybe tomorrow, mommy said she would do that with me. It's also a huge part of parenting, in my opinion. Oh, I so agree. And teaching them about that they can check in with their internal compass. They can advocate for their needs too. I mean, and that part of being in a family is balancing the needs of the different family members and you know when you come back to them when you you know it's 10 minutes and even if they are busy with something else and they don't really even seem to care 
about the story that they asked you to read. Then you can still go back in the 10 minutes. Okay, the 10 minutes are up. I've gotten something to eat. I'm ready to read to you. Would you like to? And even if they say no, you've still taught them a powerful lesson in trust and that you're dependable or safe with you. Absolutely. And it is so beautiful how it ripples, you know, because it empowers them with that assertiveness to be able to tell to someone in the future, I'm not available for this in the moment (laughs) because this need of mine needs to be taken care of, but I can do that in the future with you. The more assertive we are, the more we empower them with assertiveness. And I think it is just beautiful. Wow. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was just beautiful. I love hearing the way you think about these things. I so appreciate you sharing your heart and your gift here today. Well, I am the one that is flattered to be here with you and to share your space. The work that is being done on helping parents in this moment is so underrated. Mm-hmm. And I am so glad that you bring your loving heart and it shows all over your face. I'm so glad that you bring your loving heart in that space because I just wish my parents had this, you know, when I was younger. Oh, me I too. I just wish they had this. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for it. Oh, wow. I so appreciate it. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.